Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insight. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. Are you a neurodivergent artist or writer that has found barriers to getting published? Then this is an episode you certainly may want to listen to as today's guests may have an opportunity for you. Taz Crombie joins me to discuss their creation of Neurodiversity Times Magazine being part of a DID system, and there are other exciting projects that will be happening this year. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Taz, it seems like we've known each other for quite a long time now, but, and so I'm really excited to have you join me today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, wanted to start off, uh, like I do on many of these episodes, and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? That is such an awesome question that, honestly, haven't been asked that before. <laughs> so I was really excited to answer this. So it's kind of a mixed bag. So as far as diagnosis goes, I was diagnosed as an adult. I was around 23, 24 when I got the official like diagnosis on my medical record, which they then mark as like from birth because that's when you're autistic for life. It doesn't just happen, you know, but as a kid, medical professionals had always pushed to have a, I put it in quotes, label, but my mother was not okay with me being labeled as autistic. So that never went on my medical record. So growing up, I had people that I knew that were autistic, but I never understood like, oh, that's me too, until an adult when I started kind of trying to connect with other people that are autistic adults in the community. So that journey really started when I started reaching out to people on LinkedIn. And so it's probably been a good two years, I wanna say now, and I've been able to really get involved with other autistic adults and form connections. I know you use the uh, pronoun we when referring to yourself. And beyond your gender identity, you use that pronoun because you're part of a DID system. What are some of the common misconceptions? I'm sure there's many that you see um, regarding DID. Yeah, that is such a great question. So. Uh, DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, is a trauma-based disorder that happens when you have severe or prolonged trauma before around the age between seven or nine. So it has to be early childhood trauma, which also gives you the diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And so a lot of people think DID, which was formerly known as multiple personality disorders, that it is a, the way that I've heard people say it is, oh, so it's like when you put on your work personality or you put on your school personality to be able to interact in different scenarios. 
that's a huge misconception of what DID is. What DID at a whole is, is the brain has created a coping mechanism that when trauma happens, it literally splits off. So because the personality of a child hasn't integrated yet developmentally, when this happens to somebody that DID becomes that coping mechanism, then your brain splits off into different identities. So part of DID is amnesia, dissociative episodes, a lot of dissociative disorders such as depersonalization and derealization will go along with DID. And it's a piece of your mind, like it's a whole different person. So when you have a system, each person has their own name, their own age, their own gender identity, their own opinions. And it is something that people misconstrue as a choice when really what it is, it's like packing a bunch of people into one of those little clown cars and you put, there's so many in and people come out and you never know what you're going to get is that kind of thing. And of course, we don't speak for every system. Every system will be different because it is a trauma disorder. So since trauma causes it, everyone's trauma will be different. The way their system works will be different. So this is, of course, just our personal experience with it. So that's probably the first biggest misconception we hear. This isn't a work personality. <laughs> it's a person, you know. And I guess the other one would be also the stereotype that if you have DID, like you're violent or you're a liar in the media and specifically in entertainment, mainstream entertainment, they often will portray characters in movies and film and books with DID as being dangerous. They're usually the criminal, the killer, the deceptive one, or they'll have like an evil personality that's doing all these things. That is not the reality of what DID is. It is not a movie trope, <laughs> and that's really far from the reality. DID is a very debilitating condition to have because it has the symptoms with your PTSD and that CPTSD, but also you aren't really in control of most of your life because everyone has to function in a neurotypical world being autistic complicates it but you have to be able to do your everyday life no matter who you are in the body at that time honestly wouldn't have time to be a villain wouldn't have time to be a criminal mastermind like that's not what did is <laughs> now you know, as long as i've known you one thing that struck me about you is that uh, you're a very creative person and i'm kind of wondering um in terms of did has that been helpful in any ways um, regarding your creativity? So that is such a complicated answer, but I'm going to try to not make it super complicated. Having DID, because you are in our system, we're each very different. So as far as artistically speaking, then everyone has a different art skill. Everyone has a different art genre that they like. I guess a perfect example would be at one point, one of us drew like a realistic eye. It was amazing, well done, great work. No one else but that person can draw a realistic eye. So yeah, that creativity is there, 
but we each have our own sets of talents that don't necessarily bleed on to other things. So does it help in the sense of we are able to do a lot of different types of art and writing? Yes, but then it also makes it bad because then if someone wants us to duplicate something, we usually can't. (laughs) Makes sense. Now, starting in April, a new project that you're working on will be released, and I'm very excited to see how this grows. So it's uh, Neurodiversity Times Magazine, and its purpose is to allow neurodivergent and disabled writers and artists to have their work published. So um, why the heck did you decide to create a Neurodiversity Times Magazine? So I did talk about this. So Neurodiversity Times Magazine was birthed out of a barrier that we personally face that we've seen other people also go through as artists and writers. It is difficult to publish. It's difficult to find people that want to work with you when you are a disabled or neurodivergent artist or writer because of the stigma attached to that. So there's a huge wall that is put up that prevents you from really being successful and following your dream. There's so many talented artists and writers, but they don't get showcased because they are somebody that's disabled or autistic or ADHD. We saw that gap and we saw that barrier and we wanted to create an avenue for the people that can't get their work accepted, can't get published, whether they can't get published because of the politics of publishing is a nightmare or because they don't have the energy or the mental health or the ability to go through the steps to do it. We wanted to remove that issue and then give people a place that they can. So that's where Neurodiversity Times Magazine was born from. And what are the topics that uh, maybe you're most hopeful to include in Neurodiversity times as the magazine grows? Great question. The focus of the magazine is on creativity of all kinds. So whether that's art, writing, film, we have some great people that are into computer coding that do a creative take on that, that have reached out for this upcoming issue in April. So, you know, it's really about including all of the arts which is a very wide net into one place. And you know, the future of the magazine, so right now the way we have it set up is anybody that submits, they can put a price on their work and we will list their price and their contact info so that if this someone wants to buy from them, they know where to go to buy this piece. And in 2024, the great thing with how we have everything laid out is we want to, by the end of 2024, be able to actually pay the people contributing to the magazine because their work is valuable and their voice matters. And we want people to know that they can go somewhere that appreciates what they do and doesn't just see them for their societal stereotypical labels that doesn't matter it's like you are an autistic artist and your work is just as good as the neurotypical person next to you how can people submit their works in order to be considered for the magazine 
So they can go to our website, which is Taz the Rider, and they will find a link to submit with all of the deadline information. And then if people have questions about submissions or have any issues with the form, they can reach out to us at neurodiversitytimesmagazine at gmail.com. And we'll include a link for that in the uh, episode uh, description. So when I hear of a project like this, I'm wondering about the executive functioning of it all. What do you anticipate uh, your organizing system um, to be in order to make neurodiversity times um, exactly what you hope it will be? You know, any project that requires a lot of social interaction and there's a lot of moving pieces, it is difficult, not going to lie, on executive functioning. It's really hard. It's a lot of energy and effort, and it takes extra effort to make sure something doesn't get missed. But that's what spreadsheets and project management software are great for. (laughs) So, you know, that's how we're getting through is like we love to use project management software. And thankfully, it has a lot of automation, so we'll never miss a step. And that will be like the thing we rely on the most is just making sure we have everything in line, that we get the reminders we need to get that stuff done. Because the only way we miss things is if we don't have a reminder for it. And I'm asking you this because I know in our past conversations that you know about technology and, and might be aware of some cool tools out there. So what are you using for your project management software? Oh, love that question. We could talk <laughs> about software all day, but I won't. For this particular project, we're using Trello. And the reason that we chose Trello for this is the free version has a ton of access to automated features that other software makes you pay for (laughs) and so it also has different views so it has a calendar view a kanban view so like the drag and drop and things and you can also program it so that it gives you automated email reminders i think one of my favorite features about trello is the monday morning email where it shows you a preview of your week and it outlines all your times for you oh definitely love trello (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that's really important because I every, every week I outline my my kind of my week myself with my top priorities so I definitely think that's a valuable feature uh, oh yeah project management software like Trello another one that we always recommend to people is Asana because there's so many pieces of it that depending on what project you're doing you can make it fit for you and get so much out of it for free which is nice <laughs> I, I do love me some free Uh, (laughs) So so beyond um, your magazine, you have another creative project coming out, which is a fiction trilogy. I believe it's supposed to come out later this year called Rogues and Lords. I read that the uh, first installment uh, will leave you jaw dropped and slightly confused and may leave the reader wondering who the villain is. So that made me think about what makes a hero or villain. I love having discussions like this. So What characteristics do you think make someone a villain to you? So honestly, when we read this question, we love this question so much because it's such a interesting topic. So, you know, what makes a villain? One of the things when we're writing that we like to do is kind of flip the narrative in the sense of what people think a stereotypical villain would be and question the intentions over the actions. So, you know, a classic villain, I think of like the Joker. It's like, 
just completely unhinged and blowing up cities. It's like, okay, but is the Joker actually the villain or is Batman that enables the Joker to do these things? Because you know what I mean? Like there's that ambiguity of what actually is bad versus good. And there's a lot of blurred lines in there. So for us, when it's a villain, we look for, especially when we're building a character, we want to make the villain as as confusing as possible that's our intention it's like we want the reader to be like well wait is that actually a bad thing that they just did that or is it because their intention was bad it makes that good action canceled out so you know a villain is always well a villain will never be obviously right or wrong in our opinion and those are the types of characters that we love Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is the time for you to tell me where I messed up and if there was anything else that you'd like to discuss that we haven't gotten to yet. Oh, no, not a mess up at all because <laughs> I wanted to also... So our poetry collection is coming out February 16th and depending on when this releases may have already come out. And this is a collection of poetry from our childhood on. It's... 15 plus years of just trauma it's dark it's called a study in darkness of poetic memoir and it's just that major trigger warning for anyone that chooses to read it if you enjoy dark poetry it's great for you but if not we will see you on at another time with robes and lords later this year if dark poetry is not your thing but yeah we it's out on amazon it's on kindle unlimited and also you can buy it in paperback and we just took a little bit about our life, added some personal essays about our experiences with trauma, our experience starting a healing journey after living through different circumstances and put it on paper. Been wanting to do this for a very long time and we're releasing it on our birthday. It felt right. So (laughs) a study in darkness, February 16th. Well, happy birthday, Taz, and um, thanks so much for joining me today uh, here on Autism Stories. Always love our conversations. Yes, thank you so much. It was great being here. Thanks so much to Taz for the conversation. To learn more about Taz and Neurodiversity Times Magazine, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach provides customized coaching for autistics. All of our coaches are either autistic or autistic selected for their commitment to trauma-informed and neurodiversity-affirming strategies. They deeply understand burnout, sensory needs, and the importance of special interests. If you're interested in learning more about our coaching, please visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories. And if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.